this penguin is looking at me like, ooh. <laughs> and then this one's looking at me like, I have some type of weird disease and I'm going to eat your face off. <laughs> oh my god. You're getting really descriptive with these penguins. They all have the same face, but they're different angles. And like, it's fucking weird. This one wants to eat my face off. I think penguins in general want to eat faces. Right? Especially this guy. Look at the hair. Look at the hair on this piece of shit. <laughs> this is that good, good um, audio content that people come here for when we look at things that they can't These see. penguins are on bath salts. That's what it is. They're on bath salts. All right. I think that's fair. That I is think most penguins are on bath fair. salts. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pencil holder, by the way, with penguins on it. That your mom got for you at the Boston Aquarium. <laughs> I just told you that story. It and was originally was like, a mug. And she was like, these penguins look like they're crazy and they're going to eat somebody's face. Maggie will perfect love it. For, perfect for Maggie. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. It's on brand. Yeah. Welcome to Rock Candy. Hi. <laughs> your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats from the world of music with stories and tales from world to far. Or very close, like New York City. And also from the Boston Aquarium. And also from the Boston... I'm sure we are going to cover an artist that is from the Boston Aquarium. <laughs> like, there's been... A perform- Boston. There, there are bands that are fronted by animals. So Ooh. there's that metal band that's fronted by a parakeet. Nope. I have no idea uh, what you're talking about. Oh, in the middle of this episode, I'm going to Shout remember out. the name. All right. Holding you to that. I want to. I want to say it's Murder Beak, but that's not right. It's something. <laughs> that's a it's great something name. Something Beak. Something Beak. I'm Maggie. <laughs> I'm Ashley. Neither of us are Murder Beak. No, but but now but I. But that band wish does we exist, were. and it's pretty fucking hilarious. Yeah. And today we are not talking about the band that we think is Murder Beak. We are talking about a band that has <laughs> nothing really... to do with Boston. Yeah. And nothing to do with birds. That's true. But everything to do with some sick beats. Mm-hmm. We talk about the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Bow, 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 bow. But honestly, no, the, this is an, an episode that I have been wanting to do for a long time. It's been a long time in the works, yeah. I feel like. it has. No, it has been, <laughs> sincerely, because we just keep having to move everything around. And yeah. now I'm finally like, no, I'm doing it. I'm doing my episode on the Beastie Boys, and I'm really excited about it. Because it's, it's a pretty, you know... Okay, the part one is definitely uplifting. Yeah, part two is probably not going to no, be so much. part two is going to be a downer. Yeah, sorry guys. Sorry. I but... mean, spoilers, but you already kind of know what's going to happen. But I mean, so. you know, no different from the news that's been happening this week, so it's fine. Yeah, what a shit week for rock and roll. Yeah, seriously, we have not been doing well. You should uh, contribute to our Patreon and you'll hear us talk all about it at the end of the month. Yeah, so... Talking about the Beastie Boys, so obviously we needed a Beastie Boy themed beer, and we have been inundated from uh, Captain Lawrence Brewing Company with a lot of options as far <laughs> as this goes. Yeah, that's true. Or at least two. And this week we are drinking a Cookie Puss, the birthday <laughs> beer that they did with Carvel. So fucking stupid. Look at that face. Look at that face. Look at that face. That fucking face. That fucking face. If you if you've never seen Cookie Puss, it's just this weird face man. It's the Carvel cake. Yeah, but I didn't know. I don't I don't he has a name. I don't remember his fucking it's name. It's Cookie Puss. It, is it? No, his name is Cookie Puss. Oh, well, there you go. I yeah. don't know. No. I 
did I grew up poor in the middle of nowhere. We did not have Carvel. Let, let me tell so you. So I don't know what the oh, names of the cakes are. You can read the Beastie Boys book and learn all about <laughs> Cookie Puss. I'm not even lying. There is pretty much an entire chapter on Cookie Puss. Did they really fucking like it? The cake? I guess. Or did I think they just really like the commercials for it. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be that obsessed with it, just fucking eat the cake. I don't know. I mean, you can, why can't you have your cake and sing about it, too? Ugh. Get out. No. <laughs> my house. No. Uh, it, yes. And if you don't know, beyond the, what the fuck a cookie puss is, uh, BC Boys, one of their first rap songs, one of their first foyers into hip hop was a song called Cookie Puss, which I oh. will talk about in this episode. In greater detail. Cool. Um, and I would also like to cite my sources. Please do. I'm doing it. Um, I was reading the Beastie Boys book. It's actually called the Beastie Boys book. The official Beastie Boys book. It is quite official. It is written by both Mike Diamond and Adam Horowitz, who you may know better as Mike D and uh, Ad Rock. Is that... That's actually Mike D's last name? Diamond. I didn't know that. And now you do. Hmm. That's edutainment right here. <laughs> You're welcome. We're going to talk about cake. We're going to tell you about a little bit about like what Mike Diamond's real name is. And that's, and that's how you learn things. That's what we're here for. We're here to teach you things. But uh, you know what? Shout out to our patrons and Patreon because that was the very first thing I bought. <laughs> I was so fucking pumped to buy this book. I had been wanting it for months since it came out. It's a great book. I cannot suggest it enough. There's pictures, there's cartoon comics, there's funny little stories. There's a lot of interesting regular stories too, but then there's also stuff like Ad-Rock has an entire chapter on cassette tapes and making mixtapes and all of the <laughs> artistry that went into it. Oh, yeah. And how you would play it too much and wear the tape out mm -hmm. and have to tape it back together. And yeah, it's if you grew up with cassette tapes... It is a wonderful chapter that is a walk down memory lane. Making a mixtape was a religious experience. It really, no, when you like, were a kid. the love and tenderness that went into the making thought. a mixtape. Just a, like a lot of thought went into making CD mixtape, mix CDs. Mix CDs, still a lot of love because you have to still think about the love. order. But and then you still gotta make that jewel art. Yeah. That's yeah, still yeah. important. However, making a mixtape was a little more complicated. Uh, you needed two hands yep, to do you it. You needed to sit there and listen to each song. You had to get the correct amount of time between each song. And if you had a song that was copied off of the radio, you had to make sure you cut off all of the talking parts yep. from the DJ so yep. you can just get the song. And, that was and it flows yeah. evenly through the other two bookends on either side. Mm. I found my box of cassette tapes in my parents house the other day and i was like oh my god oh man oh boy it's a good time definitely have an entire tape that's just salt and pepper a lot of more set yeah people don't know what it's like anymore i mean i've still made playlists for people and there's yeah. still and there's still art and love that go okay not art but there's still love that goes into it <laughs> there's but still thought yeah that goes but into it doesn't it. it doesn't have the same oh man I gotta make somebody a mixtape. Good luck finding a blank cassette tape somewhere. 
I could just use one of the old ones from my parents' house. Oh, you still have blank ones? No, I'll just record over another one. <laughs> that was also something we did. Also, good luck finding a stereo you can do that with. Oh, I'm sure there's one in my parents' house. Oh, no. Yep. Nope. Doing it. Making this happen. But I think we've talked enough about ice cream cake and cassette tapes. Yeah. Although, again, that's the Beastie Boys book, guys. If you are into just weird random stories... Please read this book. It is so good. And I am going to talk about things that are in it, but I'm not covering half of what they talk mm. about. It's a big fucking book. I feel like it would be a good companion to the Guar book. Ooh, that, it would. That Andy had when he was here when we were recording yeah. our, our Guar episode. Yeah. Um, Just yeah. for fun. Like, Just for collectors. Funsies. Collector's items. There you go. Books. There'd be some pretty badass books to have on a bookshelf. Right? I'd be impressed with a dude if he had those books on his bookshelf. Yo, you want to get laid? Get yourself these books. Yep. Bitch is going to be all up on that D. Worthy investment. There you go. You're welcome. You're welcome. And with that, let's get into it. Okay. On face value, many people probably see the Beastie Boys as just some group of good time guys who happen to fall into rap, but that couldn't be farther from the truth. Good time guys? <laughs> good time. <laughs> Good time, guys. All I can picture is that old SNL skit with uh, Steve Martin and uh, it's a wild and crazy wild guys. Wild and crazy guys. I actually think that they were really into that skit. Probably. Yeah. Probably. I can picture them saying that a lot. Yeah. Yes. A lot of their story involves chance meetings and being in the right place at the right time. But these three knew how to take advantage of a situation, and they knew how to work hard. And were never afraid to evolve their sound and methods. These three MCs, Ad Rock, Mike D, and MCA, started out as just these little Jewish boys from New York City who wanted to play hardcore music and make mixtapes. They never imagined that one day they would be considered one of the most influential rap groups of all time. The Beastie Boys had their fledgling beginnings back in the late 70s as a hardcore band known as the Young Aberjeans. What? The Young Aborigines? Did I say that wrong? Aborigines? Aborigines. (laughs) I can't say that word. It's really hard. (laughs) Young Aborigines. Nope, it's Aborigines. God. No, we changed it. We are changing history. They're the Young Aborigines. (laughs) They're not Aborigines. trying to say that say eggplant in french which is aubergine <laughs> i'm like the young eggplants what aborigines that is a really hard word to say Leave me alone. young eggplants <laughs> you know for the longest time i couldn't say catholicism that's kind of a hard catholicism one. <laughs> I couldn't say vinegar for a very long time. See, words are hard, It guys. was either vinegar or vinegar. What word could you not say, listener? <laughs> Make me feel better. Yep. Right. Okay. So they started out as a hardcore band known as the Young Aborigines. Mm-hmm. It was a four-piece band featuring John Barry on guitar, Jerry Chaton on bass, Jeremy Chaton on bass, excuse me, Kate Schellenbach on percussion, and Mike D on drums. Mike D. was born Michael Diamond on November 20th, 1965. He grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, where his father was an art dealer. His older brothers influenced his love of music with records ranging from the Jackson 5 to Neil Young to the Beatles. Hmm. And like all angsty teen boys, 
Punk crept into Mike D's life when he got into the clash. Oh. Like, of course. Like they all do. Yeah. From there, he began to go to shows where he graduated from British punk to hardcore with the band Bad Brains. Oh. Like you do. Like you do. Bad Brains got into everybody's. They really did. Everybody's blood. As, as they should. Mm-hmm. It was one night at a Bad Brains concert that the stars would align and he'd have a chance meeting with another punk kid named Adam Yauk. A friendship immediately blossomed from their love of music, and they would spend hours hanging out, listening to records, and talking about their favorite bands. I can can just picture, like, this first meeting, like, just standing next to each other, like, I like your jacket. It's it's cool. I like the sweet sweet buttons you made. Those are pretty pretty cool. It's a real DIY, man. Yeah, it's some real DIY shit. Hey, you want to get a beer? Hey, you want to go drink some beers and listen to some fucking records? Cool, yeah, cool, yeah, cool, cool. Let's do that. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, if I you look why. at if you look at pictures of them too, like yeah, they're just these little tiny white boys. Yeah, in these like oversized punk outfits. That's exactly how I was picturing them. Like and you were correct, little skinny white guys in like really oversized leather jackets. Not even leather, like they were like fake weird, leather. Like, yeah, yeah, like, garbage leather. It's just garbage bags. Yeah, it's just garbage, garbage bags with bags. patches on it. it. That's yeah. That's it. <laughs> Real short haircuts. Yep. Real punk. Adam Yauk, who would eventually be known as MCA, was born on August 5th, 1964. Growing up in Brooklyn to an architect father and a social worker mother, he taught himself bass in high school as he got more into punk and the hardcore scene. MCA was considered the unofficial fifth member of the young... Aborigines. Aborigines. (laughs) As even though he didn't play with them, he was always hanging around and basically became their tech guy. He had a real knack for technical skills that came in very useful for the band. The young Aborigines had more of a post-punk sound that MCA really wasn't into playing. So he would always try to convince Mike D to start a side band that would play straight-up hardcore. One day, they're all just jamming together on their instruments and started throwing ideas for a band name. Somehow they came up with the name Beastie Boys. Beastie is actually an acronym for... Boys entering anarchistic states toward internal excellence. <laughs> did they come up with that first or did they really just like the word beastie? I think it was that one. I think they just liked the word beastie and decided to make it an acronym. Because but that's what punks it, do. But if you say it all out loud, it's boys entering anarchistic states toward inter- internal excellence boys. <laughs> because they're beastie boys. It's like saying ATM machine. It's actually an automatic teller machine machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's redundant. <laughs> it's it's a bit redundant. It is a bit. But once MCA made a button with the name on it, it just stuck before they were even a real band. Buttons make shit official. It does, especially back in the 70s and 80s, oh, yeah. man, that punk scene. You had buttons before you even had the band. All, all for the day before Monday had hats before they had an actual band. We never actually had an actual band. We just had hats. Yeah, I mean, that's half of what emo is. It's just making a really cool band name and saying you're going to make it one day and then never make it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. That's half of emo right there. Let's, we, we, were, we pretty much had it ready to go. Jeremy ended up leaving the band, which was a perfect segue for MCA to claim a spot as the bassist. And from there, the name change happened, and so did the change in sound to hardcore. Mike D moved from drums to vocals, leaving Kate to take over all percussion. Hmm. They practiced for a few months and were starting to itch for a gig, so they decided MCA's 17th birthday would be the perfect excuse for one. Wait, I have a question. Yes. So there's a girl in the band. There's a girl in the band. She's okay with it being called BC Boys? Yeah, she was totally down with that. 
cool. Progressive. Yeah, no, Kate was like just Good happy to hang out, play music with her friends. That's, That's all fine. she fucking wanted. Cool. Right. So, MCA's 17th birthday, perfect excuse for a gig. They simply invited their large group of punk friends to John's Loft, where they performed a handful of songs that they wrote. But the real surprise came afterwards when friend Dave Parsons, the owner of the local record store Rat, Rat Cage, came... <laughs> Rat Cage? Rat Cage. Okay. <laughs> you want to go down to Rat Cage get some vinyl, bitch? <laughs> they came up to them and suggested they make a record. Rat Cage also had a studio in its location where Bad Brains had worked on some of their music as well. Huh. So they, they had some clout there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The result was the EP Pollywog Stew. They managed to record it in just two days. This That's is not surprising. Not surprising. One of the songs, Egg Raid on Mojo, was played at live shows throughout their entire career, even after they had just transitioned to rap. Sometimes the three guys would still play it. That's pretty awesome. And I guess the story is, it was based on some night where a bouncer named Mojo would not let them into the club, so they wanted to pelt him with eggs, hence Egg Raid on Mojo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it ever actually happened. Some of them say it did. Most of them say it didn't. It probably didn't. It probably didn't, but they wish it did. Yeah, they just talked about it a lot. So, it, like, out fringe people were like, oh, no, they did it. It was, it, no, it, they fucking did it, man. Hey, I was there. I'm gonna go back to my place, have a couple beers, listen to some records. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we could hit, we could pelt this guy with eggs, but let's go listen to some records. Yeah, I. Yeah. I got some beer from my older brother. Oh, cool. Cool. Let's make a mixtape. <laughs> the Beastie Boys were making a name for themselves in the underground scene. One show at Bard College was filmed for a short concert. Bard College? Bard College. Really? Yeah. Wait, what? Why what? were they playing at Bard College? Uh, I believe Adam Yalk went there. Kidding me? For like a, a year. Oh, was I even born at that point? Probably, probably what year not. was it? What year was it? Uh, 80 fuck. Like 81 80 or fuck, yeah. I was born in 80 fuck, so. <laughs> it's before we were born, bitch. <laughs> no, Bart is like 20 minutes from where I grew up. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fucking Neil Gaiman is a goddamn professor mm, there now. That's right, he is. He is. God, we need to go watch him talk someday. Yep. What the hell? Either way. Their concert at Bard College was filmed for a short concert movie called Beastie. That night, they were the main act, supported by a band called The Young and the Useless, which featured a guitarist named Adam Horowitz. Adam Horowitz was born on October 31st, 1966. Halloween, bitch! Halloweeny! And he is better known as Ad Rock, or excuse me, King Ad Rock, but I'm just calling him Ad Rock. <laughs> oh, no, it's just Ad Rock. I'm sorry. We're friends. I can call him just regular Ad Rock. You can just call him we're Adam. Not, we're not friends. <laughs> I mean, I would like to be his friend, but we're not friends. He is the final member of the Beastie Boys, son to playwright Israel Horowitz, and raised in Manhattan. Ad Rock became good friends with the Beasties since his band would open for them fairly often. And it was once again a bit of kismet when John decided to leave the band as he really wasn't into the hardcore sound, so it made space for Ad-Rock to move right in. Now, with this solid lineup, they got more serious about getting gigs, landing spots at places like A7, CBGB's, and Trudy Heller's Place, which was where HR from Bad Brains caught one of their performances and asked them to open for Bad Brains at Max's Kansas City on its closing night. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Having your idol, basically, 
watch your show and then invite you to go do some shit. Yeah. I can imagine it. And then I cry because it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Mm-mm. But. Can you imagine? And like, bitch can like, dream, right? Yo, you want to hang out? Uh-huh. Uh, we're not worthy. Excuse me. I have to change my pants. Yeah. But yeah, I want to hang yeah, out. Let me change my pants and then we're going to hang out. It's going to be great. <laughs> Listen to some records. Yeah. Make a mixtape. I got some PBRs for my older brother. <laughs> this was big for them. And now they had picked up some real traction and were performing with bands like the Misfits, Regan Youth, Sonic Youth, all the youth. So all many the more. Youths. All, all the, the youths. youths. It began to look like this hardcore thing was going to pan out for them. What? Oh, hardcore, huh? Yeah, hardcore. Hardcore, huh? And that's the story of the hardcore band, the Beastie Boys. (laughs) The ones you never heard of. Kind of. It is true of everyone. As you grow older and get exposed to new music, your taste is bound to change. Or it doesn't, and you just stick in your, like... Your, your feet where they oh, no. are and you never stop listening to ACDC. Praise, praise Jess, my tastes have changed because I would still be listening to Slipknot. I know some of you out there still listen to Slipknot. And, and bless, that's fine. Bless your hearts. They need Good listeners. for you. We're glad you're doing, you're doing God's work. Somebody's gotta. Yeah. Somebody's gotta listen to Slipknot. However, <laughs> it ain't me. You know what? It ain't me, babe. It ain't me. It ain't me. Well, the Beasties and their friends were going to clubs throughout the city Initially to catch some live music and a couple drinks, the drinking age back then was 18. Shit, really? Yeah, because it was New York City in the 80s. But it was the early 80s, and the nightlife culture began to evolve. Places were starting to host DJs and MCs, and the rap hip-hop scene began to migrate from Harlem into the rest of the city. And now they were being exposed to artists like Grandmaster Flash, the Sugar Hill Gang, and DJ Jazzy J. The Beasties' minds were blown at this new form of music. The beat matching, the vinyl scratches, the sampling, the rhymes. They found the possibilities with rap and hip hop to be limitless. Which is like kind of way before everybody else figured that out. Yeah, like this was definitely in the early days when when it still really was strictly more of like a quote unquote black thing. Yeah, you know, I like mean, white people were scared of rap, and and was nobody still, was playing rap. Nobody was playing rap like, on MTV or oh, or the radio. It or wouldn't anything. be years before MTV would even consider that kind of music. Yeah, because wasn't um the song by Sugar Hill Gang that like exposed millions Rappers of of white people to yeah. rap? Yeah. That was actually it was the they made a video for it and they put it on MTV, but. By the time it got to MTV, it was already years old. Yeah. Years. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. a lot of fucking white people did not know what rap was. But honky ass white motherfuckers. It's exactly. We had no fucking clue what it was. We were honky AF, man. I, we were honky AF, yes. I'm all right with that. <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit that. At this point, they felt as if they've exhausted themselves with hardcore. How much faster and louder could they actually play? Because that's all hardcore was at that point. Also, like, I can play faster, I can play louder, blah, blah, blah. Eh, that's all hardcore is now anyway, so. And I, hardcore, never, it, it, I think, will always be more of a popular underground thing. Yeah. It's not for me. It's not my, it's not my deal. Like, I can get down with some of it. Yeah, but... some of it I can fucks with, but there is a lot of it I can't. I'm... Like, I mean, Bad Brains is amazing. Would you consider them hardcore? 
I would consider I would, them OG a hardcore. Like I don't I would, think I don't I would, think they're hardcore at all. The hardcore I'm thinking of, they're not that. See, at all. and I don't consider because if you're talking about more like '90s and like 2000s crap, like what? I don't know. Like when I that think one band with the with the big white guy. <laughs> Kill switch engage. Maybe. No, he's not a big white guy. No. Um, but anytime I think of a hardcore band with a big hate guy, breed. hate breed. He's not that big. Well, he's white. <laughs> but no, hate breed is like the quintessential hardcore yeah, band. Yeah, I me. don't like that, and I don't like that shit. Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry, hate breed fans. I don't like hate breed. Well, we've lost all the Slipknot and hate breed fans. <laughs> Thanks, Ashley. You're welcome. It's all your fault. <laughs> The Beastie Boys decided they wanted to experiment with hip-hop, and so came their first foray with the song Cookie Puss. Yay. Yeah. Because apparently they really like Carvel they ice cream. Really, I think it was just the commercial. I think they were just really, they were probably just really high and into the commercial. I mean, this was height of Carvel times, and they were in New York City. They probably had a Carvel around every fucking oh, corner. I mean, they do say it is a fucking delicious cake, so. Well, there you is go. Is it the same as just fudge? It's the same as, like, Fudgy the Whale and their other cake, right? I don't know. I have never had a Carvel ice cream cake ever in my life. Huh. Never. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty standard. I figure it's just fucking ice cream. With a little cookie crumble in the middle. Great. Yeah. I mean, like... I wouldn't say you need to rush out and get like, one. I've had a friendly Sunday before. That's that's the equivalent, right? Mm, I would eat a Carvel cake over friendly Sunday. I just don't want to go to friendlies ever again. Same. Let's I don't need never to do go that. to friendlies ever again. Pinky swear. All right. We're doing it. We're doing it. And we're, not we're not do- not doing it. Yes. Right. So, cookie puss. Just some dumb face cake. I have no <laughs> dumb idea. Face cake. Dumb face cake. <laughs> I don't that's know. That's it. I don't know what his origin stories are. That's it, you dumb face cake. (laughs) You're a dumb face cake. Your nose is an ice cream cone, bitch. Fuck off. It is, though. (laughs) And apparently it's the same pan as Fudgy the Whale, which I did not know that. Same pan? Yeah, it's the same shape, and they just make Fudgy the Whale for for Father's Day, because you're a whale of a dad. Fucking cheap-ass bastards. Or smart. Both. Regardless, the Beastie Boys created this song with Kate playing some sweet beats, an MCA playing a distorted bass line, an ad-rock prank-calling Carvel, asking to speak to Cookie Puss, and then cursing out the operator. <laughs> it's actually really kind of funny at first. It's just like, well, let me talk to Cookie oh Puss. Oh my god, this is like where the Jerky Boys got their shit from. <laughs> oh my god, this is definitely... Where the jerky boys were like, we could do this for a living. Can I tell you how many times my friends in high school prank called people and recorded it? Because they, they thought all, they were the we jerky were boys. We were trying to be the jerky boys. <laughs> so fucking stupid. So what you're saying is, if you tried to be a jerky boy in middle school and high school, odds you, are you're a podcaster now. Yeah, but also <laughs> you probably went to a really small school and you had nothing else to do with your life. You probably didn't, though. That's fair. Well, if you listen to the song, it's not the most impressive thing you'll ever hear, but it was good enough to get played in clubs. And Cookie Puss wasn't the only thing to get them notoriety. They made another song called Beastie Revolution that British Airways used for a commercial. What? But they used it without the Beastie Boys' permission. Uh, Oh, They heard it on a commercial one day, and they were like, that's our song. But also, wait, that's our song. But also, how the fuck did British Airways get a hold of it? Some guy had just heard it. On the radio or something, and was like, This is a great song. I want to use this for the commercial. That's insane. Right? 
How, like, again, another scenario, can you imagine if someone just heard your stuff and was like, I like that, I'm going to use it for commercial. Yeah. This doesn't happen. That's so weird. I will say, there is a lot of Beastie Boys story that you're like, That's, this just doesn't happen. And certainly wouldn't happen anymore. Oh, definitely not. Well, the Beastie Boys sued and ended up getting $40,000 in a settlement. Damn. So they split it four ways between each member. Uh-huh. So we got ten grand. At this point, the Beastie Boys are only seeing positive reactions to incorporating rap into their music. So they decided to really just dive into it. They started buying all the rap 12 inches they could get their hands on and really study the art and the technique. But in order to perform live, they were going to need a DJ. So on the suggestion of a friend, they went to NYU to meet a student who was known to be a pretty solid DJ. And he already had all the equipment, including a bubble machine. A bubble machine? A bubble machine. Like it blew bubbles? Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, is that, that's the clincher? It's I like, think that's the guys, real clincher. Guys, he's, he's pretty cool. He's got a nice record collection. He knows how to drop some beats. And also, he's got this fucking sweet ass bubble machine. Oh, shit. Can we play that while we're listening to records? But like, bubble machine, man. Right? So many fucking bubbles. Yo, man, have you seen so many bubbles? Wait a minute. I don't gotta blow these. They just come out of a machine. All the motherfucking bubbles. Shit, man. So you got the gig. You got the fucking gig. Bubbles. Bubbles, man. <laughs> Upon arriving at his dorm, they were greeted by DJ Double R, a big dude with long hair who looked more like a member of a metal band than someone who lays down danceable beats. Aww. Looks can be deceiving, so the guys hired him on the spot. I mean, he had all the gear, right? Uh-huh. Bubble machine. He had a bubble machine. There you go. Like I said. It was a clincher. It was a clincher. And it ended up being a pretty solid decision for them. And for a few years, Rick Rubin became a staple <laughs> in the Beastie Boys production I knew it was going to be fucking Rick Rubin. it was going to be Rick Rubin. Just when you thought you were safe. Rick Rubin. <laughs> and if you know anything about the Beastie Boys story, you know it's Rick Rubin. God, he's the new fucking Mike Myers. Just when you think you're safe. Rick Rubin. Wait, do you mean like Michael Myers or Michael- Mike Myers? Like the actor. Michael Myers. Okay. <laughs> same diff. You same, know who I'm talking guy. about. Same guy. Same guy, basically. It could be it could be the serial killer. Could, could be, be Austin Powers? Could be Austin Powers. You don't know. Yeah. So Rick Rubin. He's up in he's up in here. Rick he's up in the shit now. Rubin. Our friend, Rick Rubin. And this time would be truly defining for the trio because it was when they made the official change from hardcore to rap and from a quartet to a trio. Okay. The story is admittedly fucked up. Even the guys have said that. Okay. Kate wasn't in love with the transition into rap, but like she was just happy to be in a band with her friends and went with the flow. So she was really on board for whatever. But I kind of feel like as a percussionist, her time was probably running out. I don't know. I think if you were going to be in a rap hip hop band, you could have a percussionist. You need those beats. You could now. Well, yeah, it was a fledgling early time. So who knows? But the thing is, once the partnership with Rick Rubin began, she was slowly pushed out. Oh, was she? Surprise. Rick didn't like the concept of a female rapper. Oh, what? He didn't think that it was going to work. I'm sorry, Rick Rubin. Mm. Care to explain this? Mm. Hmm. It's fine because she didn't like Rick Rubin that much anyway. Understandably. 
She kind of felt like the guys turned into a bunch of meatheads when they started hanging out with King Meathead. Cool. Cool, So, I mean, you know how it's like when you have a group of friends and one starts hanging out with a person and you're like, I don't think they're good for you. And then your friend kind of turns into like a shitbag and you're like, you're not a bad person. But this this shitbag is making you a shitbag. Stop it. And I think that's exactly what. Well, Kate actually has a whole chapter in the book. Oh, good for her. Good. She deserves one. She does. And like she she explains the whole story from her side um, that she was like. Rick didn't really care for her. He didn't want a woman in the group. He actually started buying the guys matching outfits. So it would make her kind of be set apart from the rest of the band. Yeah. 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 Well, and the guys were so engrossed with this new direction that it just didn't really bother them that much to go on without her. Like, they just didn't see... shitty. Oh, and they admit it. They fully admit that they fucked up. They were like, we were stupid kids. Good. They admit it. That is very... That is progress. Yeah. I don't know what Rick Rubin thinks of any of this, but as far as Mike G, nobody should care what Rick Rubin... Rick Robin? Rick Rubin. It's Rick Robin. It's Rick Robin now. But yeah, as far as Because you Rick Robin my shit. I don't know. <laughs> I like that. Right? Rick Robin my shit. Rick Robin my shit. I mean, all of them have, like, formally apologized to her. and just, I guess they didn't even formally apologize. They just all, like, did admit that, like, that was fucked up. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which is kind of an apology in a, in a way. Yeah. And, I mean, she says, like, they've, in the years since, made up and... I, I would imagine they would if she has a whole chapter to be like, no, this is my fucking story. Yeah. And they, they wanted her to tell it, yeah, too. Yeah, good. Good for them. They, this is a nice change of pace. Yes. These, <laughs> these are men who are owning up to their mistakes. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. Oh, what? Honestly, there really isn't anything to hate about the Beastie Boys. No. I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah. There's nothing. But anyway, like, the story goes that when she came back from a vacation, MCA kind of took her aside and broke the news to her at a club. He said Rick promised to make them the first white rap group, but he gave them the stipulation of it's either him or Kate. And they went with him. Yeah. Yeah. Man, of course, get, like, the nicest, most unassuming member of the group to do yeah. it. <laughs> well, and, like, MCA, I think, wanted to do it. And he, as he was doing it, was saying to her, you know, oh, God, I'm really sorry. Like, this doesn't mean we can't still play music together. Please don't, like... But it kind of does. And he actually really tried to keep up the friendship with her. And I guess, like, he was like, oh, I got these sweet beats. Do you want to hear them? Like, oh. And you will find out, a little sneak peek, that... um. They help her a little bit in her music endeavors in the future. Mm. But we can talk about that after we get some more beers. Okay. We'll be right back. And we're back. Hi. So now we have the Beastie Boys as we know them. And for what it's worth, Rick didn't go back on the promise. At he that didn't. Time, he didn't. He did. He did. I we mean, said he did. I do. guess we have to give him that credit. I mean, at least we have the Beastie Boys. Got that. At the time, he was working on starting a label with his friend, fellow NYU student Russell Simmons. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know that name. In case you aren't aware of the history, this is the partnership that the label Def Jam Records was born under. Indeed. Yeah. So this is how that was born. And Russell was on board to bring the Beastie Boys onto the label. And he already had run DMC. He's like, let's get some more talent up on here. Which is where Russell Simmons um, got his notoriety. Yeah. yeah. Just in case you didn't know. Just in case. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
So first things first, time to make a single. They released the song Rock Hard in 1984. And I don't know if they mean like rock hard or rock hard. But like, like rock hard. yeah, rock, rock hard or like, like rock, rock hard. hard. <laughs> it was the second release on the Def Jam label. <laughs> dick jokes i'm sorry <laughs> hold on let the dick oh, joke breathe it's dick joke. i didn't give it time to breathe yeah we are we are connoisseurs of dick jokes mm, so pinky up need to let it let it uh air out and then swirl it in your mouth a little bit yep <laughs> for that specific mouth feel for that nice mouth feel woof well the only problem with this single was that they sampled acdc's back in black for it mm. and the wouldn't have been a problem if it wasn't for the fact that no one asked for the permission to use it. Did they not learn anything from the British Airways debacle? Well, I think this was more a production thing that they didn't... Did they? Okay, so did they sample it and they didn't realize that since they sampled it, they still have to get the permission? Yeah, I'm It's not, not that really... they were covering it, they were sampling it, so they figured, oh, well, it's still ACDC. It's not yeah, like I'm not really a different interpretation. Sure if they just didn't realize that no one got the permission. Yeah. Or they thought they could get away without, without asking. Either way, it didn't matter. It had to be withdrawn. And even later down the road, when the Beastie Boys asked Malcolm Young for permission personally, Mm -hmm. he still wouldn't give it to them. (laughs) Like, this is, like, in the 90s when they were releasing (laughs) something. And, like, the Beastie Boys are the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Malcolm Young's like, nah, that's, like, one of our top three songs. We're not letting you have it. That's understandable. Yeah. I get it. It's fine. It's fine. It's just back in black. But this didn't do anything to stop their upward trajectory. In 1985, they opened for Madonna on her Like a Virgin tour for the North American leg. Oh, we talked about this. Yeah, you in know the Madonna that. Part One episode. Yeah. Yep. And it was a very, very weird experience for them. <laughs> yeah, it was actually touring yeah. for them was really weird because here's the thing: they didn't even have a full LP out yet. And here they were performing for huge crowds across the country. And they weren't just huge crowds. They were huge crowds of like 12-year-old girls. Right. Which is not really their demographic. Right. And, they, and nobody knew who they were. The way they explained it, too, though, is that they weren't they didn't like no no madonna but they did run i guess in similar circles in the dance club scene in new york city yeah that would make sense they were going to the same places right and they were running in similar crowds they just never really crossed paths yeah and for the beastie boys they had never toured or like stayed at a hotel before so this whole experience was so mind-blowing for them and they're kids right they're still like 17 18 yeah they're just kids just little babes in the world so they're like this is the greatest Actually, thing no, in the world. Actually, no, they were early 20s. At this point, they're early 20s. Or but maybe still, like 19, yeah. But still, they were pretty young. That's so this was young. like, this is crazy. Let's get trashed and trash things. Yeah, probably. Well, yeah, that's they didn't f- quite hit that peak yet, but that's when they started to develop a bit of that, like, you know, An affinity party. for party ways. Yeah, party boys. Yeah. Good time, guys. Fuck boys? No. No. I wouldn't say they're fuck boys. Party boys. Party boys. I mean, I'd probably fuck them, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't call them fuck boys. Mm. There's a difference. There's a big difference. And the funny thing about this whole tour in general is that it was just a random chance that it would have even happened because Madonna's management wanted to get Run DMC to be the opener for her tour. Oh. And so, of course, they go to Def Jam, they go to Russell Simmons, 
And he's like, nah. No, no, no. <laughs> he's like, yeah, sure. 20000 a show. Oh. Yeah. Too well, expensive. Madonna couldn't afford it. You know how much the Beastie Boys were a show? Like a Five hundred. I was just going to say like a hundred. Five hundred. <laughs> so, and that wasn't even like their second choice. I think the Beastie Boys were like their fourth or fifth choice. Oh. So <laughs> after had been giving a slew of options, the Beastie Boys ended up being the pick. Oh. But it worked out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wasn't until 86 <laughs> that the Beastie Boys released their debut album, Licensed to Ill. The boys spent the years leading up to that touring with acts like Run DMC and LL Cool J, hanging out with their Def Jam fam, and they were working on a bunch of their songs. MCA was actually teaching himself how to loop samples on cassette tapes, which was a pretty new concept at the time. Yeah, and not exactly easy. No. Uh, I believe it was Ad Rock's chapter where he talked about going over one night and just seeing this insane setup of like these tape decks and things all wired up to each other and he's just looping these fucking tape samples. <laughs> like you actually had to create the loop yes. for them to yes. go through. <laughs> but that's exactly like MCA was just a really techie, smart person, especially when it came to things like hardware. Like he just knew how to figure that shit out. Yeah. He's very ingenuitive. The shit, some of the shit they've done, you they wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for MCA. Yeah. While working on the album, they thought it would be funny to give themselves an image kind of completely different from who they were as people. So they went into full frat boy personas and made songs like Fight for Your Right to Party and Girls. Oh, yeah. They were like monkey. They were full frat boy in the video. Good time guys. Yeah. They were good time guys in the Fight for Your Right to Party music video. Yeah. And they thought this was going to be, like, everybody would get the joke, that they would get that they're being sarcastic. Nope. Nope, honestly. I didn't know that was a joke. Not everyone knew they were joking. Nope. They thought it was just a total, they're like, this will be really funny. We'll just be stupid, douchey frat guys, and everybody will get it, and they'll think it's funny. No, everyone took you seriously, and you became the frat boys' anthems. That backfired, like, real hard. Well, I mean, I guess it didn't back, it made them very popular, though. It did. And I think... Russell Simmons saw that and Def Jam Records saw that the Beastie Boys were very lucrative because here you had these white boys rapping and at a time when rap really wasn't popular and they wanted to get in more of the white demographic, right? Mm -hmm. So here you have these three white boy like party guys having a real good time. But also dressing like punk kids a little bit. Right, like a little bit, a little bit. Like they cleaned it up a bit. But they still have kind of that... Like MCA was still rocking a leather jacket. Yeah, they, they devil may care kind yeah. of attitude, but a little cleaned up. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Like a scooch. Scooch. I mean, they're still frat boys. Like, cleaned up in that... Their taints are still gross. Oh, their taints smell like a fucking dumpster behind an IHOP. They don't realize yet that they Sunday have to clean in their summer. taints. Yeah. Yeah, that's not there yet. In retrospect, um, they're pretty grateful that the original album title was rejected. Because I'm not sure how successful they would have been with an album called Don't Be a F Word That's Very Derogatory Towards Gay People. Yeah, no. Like, full out. Yeah. Mm, That's what they just wanted to call their album. What? Why? Because I think they were tripling down on this weird persona. And everyone was like, like, the record label, the producers, everyone's like, but like, I don't know about this, guys. I know it's 1986, but still. But still. But like, License to Ill is goofy enough. It's yeah. it's just the right amount of goofy. There's a really that... funny clip of Joan Rivers, them going on Joan Rivers' show, and she's like, 
the new album, License to Kill. And everyone's like, it's ill. And she's like, what? That's a stupid name for an album. <laughs> oh, God bless Joan Rivers. She God was a horrible Joan person, Rivers. but I love her. Oh, she was like the best horrible person. Yeah. Though. She's the horrible person you need to be. Yeah. But as far as License to Ill goes, that album has gone certified diamond since its release and is one of the fastest selling debuts of all time. It's a big deal album. I believe all of what you just said. Yeah. It's all it's all out there in it's the world. Truth. These are truths. The subsequent tour featured girls dancing in cages in giant inflatable penises. They doubled down on this immature meathead image for sure. <laughs> they thought it would be real fun. But what they didn't realize was that this joke persona was going to be expected of them. People thought this was who they were. Yeah. And while they found it... That's the problem with joke personas, is that people take them for face value. Because they don't actually know you. Right. Yeah. And after a while, they got kind of sick and tired of it. They got sick and tired of having to be on all the time. They got sick and tired of having to pretend to be like a dumb, stupid frat boy. Yep. The tour really took it out of them. Especially when they got to England. We've said it before. We'll say it again. The British tabloids are the fucking worst. Uh Uh-huh. They also have them tight, tight buttholes when it comes to uh, debauchery. Oh, yeah. They were not fans of the giant penis and the girls dancing in cages and their their just party attitude. Not big fans of it. Because of their outlandish shows and the big personalities, they were primed for the pick-in for the English journalists. And they started publishing false stories about them. Like one about the Beastie Boys making fun of dying children. Yeah. What? They just said, like, at the airport, the Beastie Boys were making fun of dying kids. Okay. Who, like, wanted their autograph and they wouldn't give it to them. And all the Beastie Boys were like, what? That would never happen? What? What? And... I can just see their sweet American souls just not understanding the British tabloids at all. And then there would just be articles of them saying how much they hated England. And it got the crowds really pissed off. Like, they started to have rioty crowds at their shows. Uh, one show in Liverpool ended in full-on riot, like, 10, 15 minutes into the show. So like, once the Bo- Beastie Boys took the stage. Why the fuck would people go to the show? Because, like, England they punks op- just want to fucking fight people. It's England. Because <laughs> it's England. I don't understand. I know. I know. The police went to Ad Rock's room afterwards and arrested him, saying he what? threw yeah, saying he threw a beer can from the stage into the crowd and hit a woman in the face, so she was going to press charges. But there's no proof of this. I'm Even pr- when she took the stand and claimed it, she actually said she didn't really know where the beer can came yeah, from. I was gonna say it probably came from the fucking unruly crowd that was probably throwing yeah. shit at the band. Yeah. So thankfully he was found innocent on all charges. But it, it, was a, it was a trip for them for sure. I'm sure. By the end of the tour in 87, the Beastie Boys were burnt out. They weren't really spending time together because they were just sick of each other. And they all decided to try new things. MCA was learning more engineering skills. And truthfully, he quit the band briefly because he was just so miserable. Wow. He actually never even told the bandmates. He just told Russell. He said, I'm done. I can't do this shit anymore. Wow. Yeah. Mike D. was working with a side band called Flophouse Society Orchestra. Okay. Because, you know, why not? That makes sense. Ad-Rock decided to explore acting in films. He ended up dating Molly Ringwald in the 80s. Oh, that's a cute couple. That's a cute couple. 
I'd rock it some like, I'm here for some it. ladies. I'm here for it. Good for you. Overall, they just need an extended break because they just went too fast, too furious, and they were just tired. Yeah. What the boys weren't aware of, though, is that Def Jam was expecting them to start working on their next album in a certain amount of time. Despite, well, I mean, that's kind of a, a it is. standard of a it contract. Is. Yeah, but they also had sent them on this really extensive tour around the world. Yeah. And so they're kind of like, when do you want us to work on this album? Because we're constantly on the road. Yeah. So they weren't really understanding that, and nobody explained it to them either. Mm-hmm. So when they didn't get right back into the studio, because burnout, mm-hmm. and this is kind of the one thing I do respect about the Beastie Boys, their personal health means more to them than anything else. Good. You'll notice big gaps between albums, but it's always well worth it, because it's always a good album, it's always something new and thoughtful, and they're not burning themselves out. Well, can you imagine them going right back into the studio after this no. kind of tour and trying to write and have it be good? It's going to turn out like shit. Yeah, it's going to be garbage. They're not going to know what to do with themselves. Because every time a band does that, their sophomore effort ends up being fucking shit. Yeah. That's it's... why we get the sophomore slumps. Yeah. So they didn't go back into the studio right away. Didn't know that they had to. So Rick and Russell decidedly stopped paying the Beastie Boys royalties for their songs. Can you do that? I Maybe, I guess, contract-wise you can. But again, like, things these young kids weren't aware of. And here's the thing. At this point, like, they're good friends with Rick Rubin. They're good friends with Russell. Like, they're but all friends. can you be real good friends with your boss? I, good question. Fair you question. I don't know the answer shouldn't to that. be. Probably, well, clearly, but I guess you are. Clearly you're not. Whatever. But still, nobody just said, hey, you need to get back in the studio because your contract says this. It was just yeah. like, they stopped getting paid royalties. So once they weren't weren't on tour anymore, they're like, why don't we have any money? Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, there's no conversation. No one alerted them what was going on. They were just cut off. So it was here that they decided to walk away from Def Jam Records. They would all eventually make up and be friends again. But at the time, the Beastie Boys didn't feel like they could work with people who would betray them like that. Because they People did who feel are supposed like, to be really good friends. Yeah. And part of your band? Yeah. Kind of? Well, Rick Rubin DJed for them for a little while, but once they really went on tour, he kind of flaked out because he didn't really want to be on tour. I think he wanted to spend more time producing. Flames on the side of my face. I'm going to be really curious when we do a Rick Rubin episode, because I feel like most of the things I learn about him, I'm not impressed. I'm going to be what's-her-face from fucking Clue with flames on the side of her face, like, every five seconds. I think you're just going to draw them, and instead of taking pictures of beer, we'll just take pictures of this and be like, guess who we're talking about this week? Because Ashley's got flames on the side of her face. We're going to have flames on the side of my face, Maggie is Steve Harvey facing all over the place, and it's just mass chaos. Obviously, it's a Rick Rubin episode. Obviously, it's Rick Rubin. (laughs) Obviously. Obviously. And honestly, on top of all of this that's been going on, they had been feeling restricted creatively. Rick and Russell just made decisions for them. They would just say, oh, well, we're just going to use this beat. Oh, hey, I took that guitar part and I revamped it. Oh, hey, you're going to oh, go hey, on Oh, hey, you're not in the band and you don't make these fucking decisions. But yeah, they would just kind of do all these things. And it was a matter of the Beastie Boys being kind of young and not in thinking, well, you're a little older, you're a little more experienced. I guess you know what's best for me. But how much older is Rick Rubin from them? Because when they met him, yeah. they went to his dorm room yeah. to meet him. They aren't that much older. But right. I think it was just this level of maturity that they had as producers, maybe. I think. And owning a company. 
I get the feeling that Rick Rubin was just like, no, I got this. Oh, yeah. And just like had that attitude. Yeah, they would just kind of do things. Yeah. And not tell them. He just had this like weird control over them that was very like, I know it's best for you. It's fine. And I'm sure that there was a confidence. Kick the lady out. We got this. (laughs) Well, I'm sure there's a confidence that the boys just hadn't reached yet. Yeah. They probably were still slowly learning their skills and were imagining that, oh, well, we don't know yet. We're still learning. Blah, blah, blah. But I'm sure after a tour like that, they're like, oh, no, we know what we fucking want and we don't want this shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, they didn't want this persona anymore. They wanted to expand. They wanted to try new things. Right. And they probably weren't going to be able to do that with Def Jam. So after some label shopping, they found themselves signing with Capitol Records. Once they were ready to work on a new album, they wanted something more mature than licensed to ill. It was time to shake the dumb frat boy image and prove to the critics that they could be taken seriously as MCs. And should be. And you probably can't do that with songs like Brass Monkey. I mean, that's a great... It's a great song. It's a great song. It's a decent drink when you want to be a drunk asshole. <laughs> they joined forces with the production duo Dust Brothers to bring their next oh. album to a new level. Mm-hmm. You may know the Dust Brothers from mm. the Fight Club soundtrack. Mm-hmm. He've done a lot of work with Beck. Mm-hmm. And they worked with Hanson. Oh, the yes, song. they did. Mbop. <laughs> Definitely thought of you when I read that. I was like, oh my God. Oh, Ashley's, they so did. Ashley's going to love it. It's so this, great. This is Ashley's prime Fucking right here. 12 year olds with the Dust Brothers on yeah, a song called Fucking Mbop. Great. The result is the innovative Paul's Boutique. Compromised solely of samples, somewhere around 105 songs were sampled on this. The Dust Brothers' skills with mixing makes it flow, like, just perfectly. Dust Brothers know their shit. They know their and you shit. Know, I don't even like that kind of music. But, but, like... But there's also a difference between that kind of music and just the skills to make amazing production values and just the sonic sounds that they can do exactly and they're very talented you can't even pick out most of the samples either for example hey ladies which by the way one of my favorite songs very underrated hey ladies okay (laughs) cowbell it has 15 samples ranging from all sorts of artists like sweet to cameo to james brown to deep purple that's pretty amazing yeah Flawless. Also, Cameo's legit. Cameo is legit, though. Can we talk about that? For Can we talk about Cameo for a second? And in case you're wondering, yes, they paid for every sample and credited every artist they got music <laughs> from. They learned. They learned. And Paul's Boutique is an expendy album. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Paul's Boutique is seen as a revolutionary album, a real Sgt. Peppers of hip hop, if you will. Oh. But at the time, the heavy sampling and dense lyrical content made it a disappointment on release. It didn't do very well. Clearly, it was ahead of its time. It was, though. Critics see that it was ahead of its time now, and they give it its due. Like, it is 100% looked at in retrospect as, this is genius. Well, when did it come out? Uh, It was released in 89. So, um... That was way before you got into, like, the 90s trend of sampling a bunch of things. Right, right. It was, it was, I think it was right on the cusp of it. I would say it was still way earlier than that, though. I don't know. Like, I would put somewhere between 92 and 94. 
I suppose. Either way, it's still kind of ahead of its time in mm-hmm. how much sampling. Yeah, it I mean, did. It, it was extensive. And they did graduate mostly. I mean, Hey Ladies is still a bit of a goof, but. <laughs> But um, that's like, but it's not. It's not the same as licensed to ill, where a lot of it's just like, yo, we're dumb frat boys, girls are yeah, hot. I mean, they're not talking about like, oh, my mom threw away my porn, you know? <laughs> yeah, they're kind of graduating from that. And I yeah. mean, when you expect to hear more of that and you don't, people are gonna be like, oh, I'm disappointed. Yeah, you, you not fucking bloodhound gang, man. Oh my god, yeah, because the bloodhound gang's still around. Are they? No, actually, they are, but I, I don't think they're popular. Uh. Were they really ever? It's that one song. I'm over it. <laughs> and at the time of its release, even their label, Capital, wasn't really interested in promoting its newest edition. So they didn't help either. They would initially send out records, but they wouldn't replenish them. I feel like there's there's a trend with... um Labels? Big record labels yeah. being like, nah, this kind of sucks. I don't want to do it. And turns out it's a well, fucking classic. Well... The Beasties were told that the label couldn't focus too much on Paul's boutique because Donny Osmond had a new album coming out that they had to work on. That was their excuse? Oh, yeah. They didn't even try. No, they didn't even try. And this was Capitol Records? Yeah. And Donny Osmond is your biggest yeah. concern right now. Yeah. In 1989. Choices. Excuses. Oh, girl. Hot takes. So the boys take some time to regroup after the disappointment of their sophomore release. They don't tour, and instead they take some time to create a better space to work in. Instead of renting out a a studio... No, it's a studio. (laughs) Instead of renting out a studio. God damn it. That sounds so cute, though. Studio. (laughs) Instead of renting out a studio. Instead of renting out a studio, they decide to make their own. This is when they create the G-Sun Studio, named thus because there was a faded sign out front on it that said Gelson Plumbing, but the E and L were faded, so it looked like G-Sun Plumbing, so like, yo, it's a G-Sun Studio. <laughs> it's cute. They're That's very cute. cute. They I would cute. do the same thing. They're still fun. Aww. They're still fun, though. It was a perfect space for them to work whenever they needed to instead of waiting for it to be available because they're very much a band that's like, oh, I got this idea. I need to put it out now. Yeah. It was also real spacious. The room they recorded in seemed to be some former ballroom, so it was huge. And this gave the Beasties the opportunity to get real creative with their music. Probably got some nice acoustics. They had great acoustics. Mm. And when trying to go for the real big drum sound, they put the kit in the middle of the room and MCA basically came up with this makeshift cardboard tube that they connected to the drums. And so they placed mics in it and then they would play it and record the sound that way. And that's huh. how they get that epic sound on the song past the mic. Yeah. It's again, MCA was fucking genius when it came to all this stuff. That makes sense, though. It does, though. Yeah. It really checks. They also take this opportunity to change direction again and do something they haven't done in a while. Play their own instruments. They brought back engineer Mario Cadado to help produce, who suggested to bring on Mark Nishita, also known as Keyboard Money Mark, to play on keyboard. You couldn't think of something better. Kind of Keyboard Money Mark. Keyboard Money Mark. Keyboard Money Mark. That's a lot to say, though. Yeah, but I like it. He makes it work. Keyboard Money Mark. Keyboard Money Mark. Nope. Can't even say nope. anymore. <laughs> it was a time for real growth and change for the Beastie Boys. 
They went back to their musical roots, really honing in the skills to play their instruments, and they decided to try out some new business ventures as well. Oh? Mike D. helped to open up the first storefront for extra-large clothing with Adam Silverman and, e- and Eli Boders. I have not- <laughs> That is a real name! Kidding! Uh. I have- It's in the book. It's on Wikipedia. It's on the internet. The guy's name is Eli You triple-checked his last name. <laughs> because I'm like, this can't be this the guy's last name. can't be his real last name. B-O-N-E-R-Z. Z? So he named himself he that. He named himself that. Oh my god, what are you doing? Eli Boners. Eli Bo... <sighs> yeah. Dick jokes. But extra large clothing. Big hand in that from Mike D. They befriended Biz Marquis and began to work with him Aww. a lot. It's why you'll hear him on a- most of their albums. And apparently he always needs candy before recording. <laughs> this checks out so checks hard. Out. I've yep. Bismarck, he seems like the funnest man to hang out with. He seems like the sweetest guy in the world. Yeah, I'm all about it. Here <laughs> for it. Working with Capital did give them opportunities to spend money, and they were fortunate that the execs didn't seem too concerned with what they were doing. So they kind of got to like, you know, do whatever the fuck they wanted. Kinda. A little bit. What's that like? Give me that life. You're right. But they also felt like they were working for the man, betraying their punk roots. So they took an idea that just started out as a logo, and they created their own label called Grand Royal. It was still technically part of Capital, but it gave them a little bit more control over what they were doing. Okay. Like a subsidiary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they began to sign artists to this label. Acts like Sean Lennon, Ben Lee, and Luscious Jackson. We're all connected to this label. I love Luscious Jackson. Fun fact. Let's go bring Kate back into the picture. Mm. Former Beastie Boy would eventually become the drummer in Luscious Jackson. So, while she never got to see fame with her first bandmates. No fucking shit. Yeah. They did help her with her new ones. Wait, you know what? So they tried to make up for that bullshit they put her through. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't enough for them to just create a record label, even though they admittedly had no idea what they were doing. They also turned Grand Royal into a magazine in an effort to help promote the music they were releasing. They made a mailing list out of fans that would ask them for lyric sheets to their albums and figured they could send the magazine out to them, too, in order to build some hype. Mm -hmm. Smart ideas here. If you're curious what kind of magazine the Grand Royal was like, yeah. in addition to talking about music, it would have some funny articles in there as well. It would become well-known for an article titled Mulling Over the Mullet, which is claimed to be the first published <laughs> use of the term mullet. Really? Right? I, I have a hard time believing that, but a lot of people say that the first time like anyone published the word mullet is in this article. I, yeah, I guess anytime. The first time somebody actually published it, maybe? Maybe? But I, I, I feel can't. like it's been around for much longer yeah, than that. Yeah, I didn't dig too deep into it, but a lot of sources say first use of you it. You mean you didn't dig too deep into the history of the mullet? I know. I was, re- I was a little you? preoccupied with the Beastie How Boys. How dare you? And maybe Bismarck. This is an episode about the mullet. I've been waiting <laughs> this fucking long. I know. It's and you finally a, talk about the mullet. crazy intro into the mullet, guys. How? How fucking How dare, dare I? How dare you? How fucking dare I? This is that good, good content you kids are looking for. So in 1992, the Beastie Boys released their third album, Check Your Head, on their Grand Royal label. And the time and thought that they put into it was well worth it. It was critically praised and reached number 10 on the Billboard charts. 
Playing their own instruments was a gamble that definitely paid off. Many were surprised at their versatility. Their single, So What You Want. What you, what you, what what, you want. What you want. (laughs) It charted on both the rap and modern rock charts. Mm -hmm. And this is where they really started to, you know, transcend eras and genres. Genres. Whatever. They even went back to touring for this album alongside the Rollins Band and Cypress Hill. That would have been a super fun tour. Again, makes sense. I would have really liked to see that. They were beginning to use their popularity for good causes, too, like contributing their song It's the New Style to the AIDS Benefit album No Alternative. And that's just the beginning of an outpouring of goodwill and philanthropy that those B-boys would become well-known for. Absolutely. They are very generous when it comes to contributing to good causes. Mm -hmm. They're good kids. Within 10 years of the formation of the trio that is the Beastie Boys, they've seen highs and lows and have managed to evolve into a band that no one can really predict the next move of. But nothing would prepare the music world for their next release, which would place them firmly in history books as one of the most influential bands ever. But you're going to have to wait for next week to hear it in the conclusion of the story of uh, The Beastie Boys. Sabotage. Cliffhanger! Sabotage. You sabotage this. (laughs) I sabotage this whole episode. (laughs) That's just the hint. Listen, all y'all. I'm telling y'all. Sabotage this. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You did it. You did it. Totally pulled it off. (laughs) And that's part one of the Beastie Boys. So you kids will have to come in next week for the conclusion of that. But it is it's a good story, honestly. It's just interesting. It's crazy how these kids have built themselves up from just, like, these dumb kids, these dumb punk kids who are like, I just want to make a (laughs) mixtape to, like, now I'm going to go make some sweet R&B or sweet hip-hop rap albums. Yeah, to, like, oh, shit. Maybe I'll act. Maybe I will open up a fucking clothing store. Oh, let's also help out with a bunch of causes. But also, what's that like? What is that like to just... Be like, okay, I'm gonna go do this and then fucking do it. How 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 do you do that? I don't, I don't know. know how to do that. I don't know that life. But I will say at least I feel like they've earned it. They work hard. They do work hard. I mean, granted, once they got what it was they were looking for, they worked really hard yeah. for it. I mean that's I'm thing, not going to discredit yeah. them for anything. No, no, no. But at the same time it's like I want that. I want that luck. I'm like, I want <laughs> but, I want to stumble into something. But like I just all I ask for is, like, the kind of luck where, like, the one time I buy a scratch-off, I get 50 bucks from it. Can I just have that luck? Ooh. I'm fine with that Yo, luck. I could use a $50 scratch-off, Right? Though. Right? Ooh. Also, I don't want to pay $10 to get the $50 scratch-off prize. Yeah. But still, like, Yo, even if, if I did... Can you gift me a scratch-off? Can you gift me a scratch-off and or, like, a bunch of the shitty little ones and collectively, out of, like, 20 of them, I get $50? Because that would be great. All right. Can I do that? Yeah, let's do that. Can you just give a bitch a break? (laughs) Give a bitch a break. Come on, guys. That's all we're asking. I need gas money. Well. I need money to pay for my energy drinks. Her energy drink (laughs) habit is pretty severe, guys. It's ridiculous. I'm starting to get worried about her heart. It's fine. You drink half my monsters every time I come here. a quarter of your monster. At least. (laughs) I get sleepy, too. I get sleepy sometimes, too. And I have to have energy to do this. So it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> it's fine. This is, this is fine. It's Thanks fine. for listening. 
Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. We hope you are enjoying the stories and the tales of the Beastie Boys and everybody else that we talk about on this show. Hopefully. Seriously, your support and love is great and we love it. And if you want to support and love us more, go over to iTunes and drop us a five-star review. We like reviews. They help us get noticed and then getting noticed is good. So do it. Yeah, and I feel like we haven't had one in a while. We haven't it's, had one in a while. We're due for a new one. We really so. want we really want another one. So make our day. Send if you're like if you feel like you need to be a philanthropist, give us a good review on iTunes. It's gonna make it it's always sunny joke. I can't. I can't. Not not now. <laughs> not, now. not now. We'll not save now. it. We'll save it. But you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. And also, feel free to go visit our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com, and you can comment on episodes and drop us an email, find our social medias. We post funny jokes or sad news articles about musicians dying. So <laughs> what a week. Us. What a week. Ooh, what a week. Ooh, what a week. Ooh, we. But seriously, uh, yeah, go follow us on the social medias and, you know, or drop us a note and we'll drop you one back. Yeah. Because we like chatting about music. It's good times. And speaking of what a fucking week, if you want to hear us talk about all of the current dead musicians yeah i guess yeah um you can mosey on over to our patreon at patreon.com slash rock candy podcast you can drop us some monies and you can listen to a bonus episode every month and get some sweet swag yes and thank you to everyone who has given to our patreon i bought books <laughs> i bought beer and i bought music to play on these episodes your money is severely helpful. Very important. So, thank you. <laughs> also, please go visit Pantheon Podcast Network. It's the network that we are part of, and it is filled with wonderful music podcasts. Everybody has something amazing to contribute there. You will learn crazy new yeah. weird things. And, and they are fast growing. I think they have now like 24 shows. A lot. We've they got have a lot, lot of shows, shows guys. all about music. Pretty much the only network that yeah. solely focuses on music podcasts. So, so if you want to yeah. listen to more shit about music, fucking go there yeah. to the Pantheon website and listen to all of them. They're all amazing. You'll find one that doesn't swear as much as we do. <laughs> Actually, you'll find several. Several don't swear as much as several. we do. Several. Some of them do. Several don't. Most don't. Most it's don't. mostly us. We are the heathens of the Pantheon Network. <laughs> they're gonna, they're gonna kick us off. They're gonna kick us off someday. Kick us off someday. <laughs> but until that day, we're still here. We're still kicking it. And come in next week for part two of the Beastie Boys and more Cookie Puss and more Cook. Oh no, we got more Cookie Puss. We got way more Cookie Puss. Yeah, we do. And until then, party on Ashley. Party on Maggie. And party on you, crazy kids out there. Balls out. But you can't, you won't. And you don't stop. (laughs) There we go.